Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910. Savannah's number any time of day. You want to throw them an email, which we'll get to a bunch of uh, during the show today. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We like to relate to real cases uh, every week, which is a smart thing to do. We call it the week that was. I got, what, three this week? We do. We have yeah. three of them to talk about this week, John. And uh, you're right. We start every week with the uh, the, the, the week that was, every show, uh, and, and this week, uh, we're going to start off with a long-term disability case. Uh, I had Gary from Cornwall, believe it or not, Cornwall, Ontario, give me a call. And uh, he's been on long-term disability for about two years, almost two years, because of injuries from a car accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got chronic pain in his back, in his neck, and he's worked as a mechanic for the last 18 years. Uh, he's 42 years old. Now, he got a call from his insurance adjuster last week telling him that they think that he's not totally disabled. He has a pain doctor and he's got a family doctor. Both of them have said that he should continue getting treatments and not go back to work for now. They're not saying forever. Ever. They're yeah. saying for now. You're still recovering. You're still going through treatments. And of course, he, he's given those uh, uh, opinions, letters, reports to his adjuster. Now, the adjuster said that the insurance company had their own doctor review and that that doctor doesn't agree with the opinion of his treating pain doctor and his family doctor. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Now, he told he'll be cut off uh, um, at, at the end of September of this year. Now, John, let me tell you something. As far as I'm concerned, I spoke to him, of course, uh, in, in great depth, and there are a lot more facts to this. I've just given you an outline. But in my view, this will be an easy case to resolve. Despite the fact that the insurance company says, we're going to cut you off in short order, we're going to pay you nothing. This is going to be an easy case to solve. Why? Because as far as I'm concerned, if your doctors, not doctor, doctors are actually saying, this is our medical opinion. We've been treating this individual for the last, well, for the family doctor, it's many years. For the pain doctor, it's the last two years after the car accident. Uh, if they are putting this in writing, I don't care who that doctor is the insurance company is using. And incidentally, that insurance doctor never saw uh, Gary. Right? Never he just physical reviewed examination. Medical, never did even a physical <laughs> examination. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's flawed. But insurance companies oftentimes use uh, these kinds of doctors who are being paid by the insurance company to crank out reports, which oftentimes yep. are very favorable to the insurance company. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, uh, if they, we're going to try and intervene and avoid them cutting him off. And I've been successful doing that in the past where insurance companies said, we're going to cut you off. And then we've been able to get in the middle of it, speak with the adjuster, no, 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 explain, no, no, no. To the, exactly, explain to them why it is that they're wrong and why it is that if they cut the person off, they're going to get a claim very quickly mm-hmm. for compensation. And, you know, I've talked more than a, times than I can remember on this show about how we've had these situations happen where the insurance company says we're paying nothing only to get a claim. And then down the road, their own lawyers are recommending that they settle with us. Okay. And that's very, very frequent. It's, it's, it's not something that, you know, in every hundred cases, one of those cases, the insurance company settles. No, insurance companies want to resolve claims. They don't like having them on the books. Sometimes, sometimes uh, they will fight these claims. And, and I mean, John, I, having worked as a defense lawyer in the past, I recommended to insurance companies who were my clients to fight some claims, which is why when I am telling someone like Gary, who's calling me and, and I'm looking at the medical reports he sent me uh, and, and I'm telling him he's got a case, I'm saying that because I think he has a case, because I think that it's going to be very easy to resolve uh, and the insurance company is going to, uh, to to settle at the end of the day. So the lesson here is that if the insurance company is saying you're not disabled, but your own doctors are saying that you are, that you can't work, 
the insurance company will most likely pay. It's just a matter of making sure that we do everything that needs to be done to force them to the table, to force them to pay. They're trying to muscle you, right? Yeah, it's exactly what they're doing. And remember what we said before, it's a poker game for them. Many times, people who are told they're going to get cut off just walk away. They'll walk away from money that is legally owed to them. I mean, these people can't go back to work. So what's going to happen with the mortgage payments, you know, with with the the payments for all the other expenses they have uh, at home, with the kids? It's extremely, extremely stressful, which is why we get so many calls and so many emails and people contacting us because they need this help. And, uh, and, you know, and, and we evaluate the case and we tell them from a legal perspective, objectively speaking, do we think that we can recover for you or not? And sometimes I tell people I can't. Many times I tell them, yes, you can, uh, to use a phrase from American politics. Yeah. Yes, you can, and, and, and you can. And that, in fact, happens. I mean, we don't just go on the show week in and week out, uh, John, just to, to spread false information. It's to educate people that you have rights. And don't assume that just because the insurance company says, we're not going to pay you, you don't deserve this money, don't assume they are right. Is all that correspondence, once you're involved, all that correspondence now goes through you? Absolutely. Right? So the, the patient or the person in question no longer has to have the headache. That's right. right? They're not talking with the adjuster anymore. Right. And that's nice. another big thing, right? I mean, people who are on disability and their family members uh, who feel the weight of the disability, uh, the weight of, of you know, the lack of income that's coming in, every time they see that phone number coming up on the call display or they get that email from the adjuster, it puts them into a state of panic. It, it, you know, I've talked to people who say they can't eat for 24 hours after. You know, they have to go lie down. It's extremely stressful. And in a way, in a way, they are be, being re-victimized by, by the process. And I'm not going to go and I'm going to blame insurance companies because that's just the way that the law is set up. It's geared uh, for the insurance company to want to save money. That's what you know, the business model sure. is. Uh, but what that does on a personal level is it makes people uh, essentially uh, uh, have to fight another battle in addition to their disability. And oftentimes they can't fight two battles, which is why we're here. They come to us and we fight that legal battle for them. A couple more cases uh, coming up. We'll tell you how those turned out. It's, uh, it's realistic. It's what you need to hear before we get into the meat of the show. The week that was continues. 416-216-5910. And email. We'll get to a few of those uh, as well in the near future as the show continues. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910, Savannah's direct number. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We continue with the week that was. Some real-life cases that have come across your desk, either in the process of or have wrapped up in the, uh, in the recent future, or in the recent past, anyway. Right. Let's move on to the next one. This one, uh, gentleman's name is Leonard. He's from Newmarket, and it's a car accident case. He had a car accident about three months ago. He lost consciousness, and the other driver who caused the accident fled the scene no. of the accident. We don't have any, any witnesses. Uh, but there was significant damage done to Leonard's car. Uh, he's being treated for a concussion and, uh, and some broken ribs. And he was asking me, well, what can I do if I don't know who the driver is? Uh, you know, he, of course, he contacted the police. Uh, they came. Uh, but again, who was the other driver? Who do you make a claim for compensation against? Well, the answer is that you can claim against your own insurance company, Instead of the at-fault driver's insurance, seems weird, right? It but seems weird, but this is a this is a a, um, uh, a safety net that that was put in place by the government uh, to make sure that if you are injured in a car accident and it's someone else's fault, but that person has fled the scene and so there is no insurance, that we don't have their insurance here, uh, then you can go after your own insurance company. So most policies, it's standard practice now in most policies in the province. 
to have what's called uh, an OPCF 44R endorsement. Brokers out there who are listening to the show will nod their head and say, of course, this is standard. And what this is, is exactly what I said. It's a safety net. It allows you to essentially advance a claim for compensation against your own insurer. Now, if you're not at fault for the accident, your premiums should not be going up. I always tell people, if you have questions about premiums, go to uh, your broker and ask them about that. I'm not a broker. That said, what happens in this case, you know, when Leonard suffering from a concussion, which is a severe type of an injury that can be, um, it can actually be permanent, depending on the severity, broken ribs. There's an income law situation here I'm not going to get into. The point is, it's a serious accident, serious injuries, but there's no other driver. So Leonard actually has a a, a, um, uh, a recourse here. He he can go after his own insurance company. The only thing I would say is this, and this is this is a caveat. I've had situations where people have come to me uh, in those circumstances where they don't know who caused the accident. They lost consciousness, or for whatever reason, you know, they don't know who it is, and there was no damage done to the vehicle. Well. First of all, that calls into question the severity of the accident. That's right. number one. Number two, the law does say that there has to be independent evidence that someone caused the accident, not you, but someone else. And, and in order to invoke that coverage under that endorsement, you have to have either a witness or you have to have some kind of property damage to the car. And by the way, that witness, again, there are limitations. It can't be your wife, for example. I mean, that's self-serving. But, right. you know, the point is for people out there is that if you are injured in a car accident and it's caused by someone else, but you don't know who that person is, I'm talking about bodily injuries, okay? I'm not talking about uh, um, damage to your vehicle, which your insurance company is going to cover anyways. Right. You can go after your insurance company. There is recourse. Uh, the amount of money available is different, so we can talk about that. But the point is that there is this safety net. People out there should be aware of that. It's not as though you're on your own uh, to suffer you know, the, 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 uh, the injuries that you suffered w- with absolutely no recourse on, or no way to get compensation. Well, yeah, we should you know, stretch this a little bit now that you're on the, on the topic. And I know we've discussed this many times in the show that if you have an occupant in the car, say it is your wife or your daughter or whatever, and they get injured, they can make a claim against your insurance. That's right. It seems nasty to no. That's exactly go after your old man. But I mean, that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, you have situations. So let's take a a, a situation a bit different than what we just discussed with Leonard, uh, where you have a single car collision, but it was really the driver of the vehicle Mm -hmm. that was responsible. So it wasn't someone else. It was actually the driver. But that driver was driving with his wife or with her husband or sibling or parents. But the driver caused the accident. And again, single car collision could be a Corolla. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, and, and, you know, what do you do in that case? What does the occupant who's been injured do in that case? Well, that occupant has recourse against the insurance company of the driver. And yes, it may seem illogical yeah. to say that I am going to make a claim against my wife because she was driving the vehicle at a time. Well, keep in mind, it's her insurance. It's our insurance company that responds. And again, people are always concerned. Well, what about my premiums? Well, let me ask you, John. If you suffered injuries and they are severe and you are unable to work or have difficulty working, compensation can be in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, perhaps right. even more. Are you really going to be concerned about an increase in premiums? Yeah. Get yourself right. better, man. That's why you, exactly. That's, that's why you have insurance in the first yeah. place. So understand, if you are injured, you are an occupant, or you are a driver of a vehicle, you're entitled to compensation, depending on who's responsible, of course. Start and then let's get to, uh, we've got a couple minutes till we take a, a break. You've got the third case. Get started on that. Then we'll, uh, All right. So the third on. case is a slip and fall. We All tried right. to keep it uh, interesting. So this was uh, from uh, Cheryl from Oshawa, who, who uh, called me up and says that uh, back in January of 
27th this year, she was walking in a plaza uh, on her way to a store, and he, she fell on a patch of ice. There was no salt or sand anywhere on the ice. Uh, now, luckily, her son took photographs of the area after she fell, and, and that's gold. It's absolute gold, because then, you know, there's no dispute as to the state of, of the icy patch Smart. that she fell on. Now, she twisted, and she broke her right ankle, which is a nasty injury. Uh, she works for UPS. She makes around forty-two grand a year. She's fifty-one years old. Now she hasn't gone back to work since the fall. Uh, so it's about seven months or so. And she wanted to know if she can get compensation, and if so, how much. And of course, as soon as I saw the photographs and I heard about the injury, my response was a hundred percent. Yes, definitely, definitely. As far as I'm concerned, you can get compensation here. Uh, broken ankle assesses at about thirty, forty thousand dollars, depending on the severity, depending if you've had surgery, uh, depending, uh, and we'll get to the injury we'll calculator in a moment. Say, yeah. uh, it depends on on the impact of the injury on the individual. Of course, you can have two people with the same injury, but the injury affects each person differently in terms of of at home, in terms of at work, etc. But she can't work, uh, so she's lost some money. Uh, and uh, the question is, what's going to happen if she can't? Uh, work in the future or she has difficulty working in the future, she's going to lose a lot of money. And she's a young person. I mean, 51, it's a young age. Uh, so I told her, of course, I explained all the options, told her what she can and cannot do. Uh, we are likely going to have to make a claim against the owner of the plaza. There's probably a winter maintenance contractor. contractor Usually there yeah. is one, maybe even a sub-subcontractor, depending on the situation. So we have to make sure we get the right parties. All of them presumably have insurance. They should have insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can be dealing with a claim with multiple insurance companies. Uh, and, and, you know, when it comes time to talk resolution of the claim, settlement of the claim, uh, a little bit down the road when we figure out what happens with her ankle and her work, then you're going to have multiple insurance companies at the table that you can strike a bargain with and a Insure settlement with. Exactly. Right. Yeah. We'll take a, a quick break. We'll get. I know we mentioned the injury calculator. Really, really cool tool. We'll get to that after a quick break. Savannah's number, 416-216-5910. And you want to throw us an email, we'll get to one of those right after as well. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, it's right here. It's on Talk Radio AM 640. 416-216-5910. That's the number to get a hold of Savannah anytime. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one of your emails here in just a moment. But uh, injurycalculator.ca, this is an incredible tool. Yeah, it's a fantastic tool, and it's been used quite a lot. In fact, I have people calling me uh, who tell me that they've used it, and it's so easy to use. Yep. And it's anonymous, right? It's anonymous. It's free. What it allows you to do is to uh, literally click um, a, f- a few menus, tell the calculator what kind of injury you suffered, and uh, it literally takes you 20, 30 seconds to input the information. You're not giving any identifying information, no, no phone number, nothing. You just want to know if you started a claim for your broken ankle or your bad back or, or the concussion or whatever it is you suffered because of someone else's negligence, what is the amount of money you could be looking at for pain and suffering? For pain and suffering. Exactly. Pain and suffering. Not for income loss, not for out-of-pocket expenses, for pain and suffering. What does the law say that you're entitled to get? And what we've done is we've compiled this database and we created an algorithm that takes the information you've inputted, goes through the database, and then says, here's the range of damages you could be looking at. So if you were to go, I don't have the computer in front of me, John, but if you were to go and, and check out you know, a, a knee injury and it's going to ask you, is it a tear? Is it a fracture? What is it? Have you had surgery or not? It asks you a few mm-hmm. uh, detailed questions. 
And once you input that information, it tells you you can get, uh, or you could be entitled to, let's say, forty to $60,000 for pain and suffering. Right? It gives you a range. Oh. Because this is not a science. It's more of an art. It depends on, again, on the impact of the injury on your life. Yeah. Depends on your age. Depends on the jurisdiction that you're bringing the claim. Mm-hmm. Is it Toronto? Is it Vancouver? Where are you? And, and so it's a fantastic tool because oftentimes people come to me, or really to any lawyer out there, who says that they can uh, help them with a personal injury claim, the person naturally is asking, well, is it worthwhile? What can I be looking at for pain and suffering? And so this gives you a starting point. Injurycalculator.ca, fantastic tool. Uh, Gotten a lot of positive feedback about it. So what happens if I've used the calculator and I'm saying, okay, this sounds good. Now I do want to go forth and contact you. Then at the end of the calculator, there's actually a button there that allows you to contact me directly. You click on it and it will ask you uh, for obviously a way for me to contact you, whether it's email or phone number. And then we get in touch with each other. I, I get the submission. I get the information you've inputted. Uh, if you didn't click that button, I would never know you were there. I would know the amount of people who go on this website, but I wouldn't know anonymous. who go- It's anonymous, exactly, yeah. unless you choose to contact me. So really, there's no downside to trying it out. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Got an email from Sarah from Barry. says, I really like your show and have been listening for a few months. My brother was involved in a bad car crash seven months ago. He was in hospital for several weeks because of surgeries. We have a lawyer, but we can't ever get a hold of him, and we don't even understand what the process is. All we know is that he said we had a case, but no money is coming in, and he obviously can't get back to his old job at this point. What can we do? Well, Sarah, it's very concerning to me that you're saying you can't get a hold of your lawyer because that's a major, major complaint that we hear a lot, and it's unfortunate. And it's not just personal injury lawyers. It's it's lawyers in general. I mean, I had one time a real estate uh, lawyer that I had difficulty uh, getting a hold of. And, you know, that's just not professional. It's not courteous. There's no reason why the lawyer or someone from the lawyer's office doesn't get back to you, Uh, especially when you're dealing in a case like this, Sarah, when you're telling me your brother was in this terrible car crash, uh, multiple surgeries. I I mean, the process It's kind of your job. It's completely your job. This is, (laughs) yeah, I mean, listen, a lawyer's job is twofold. One is to make sure they advocate for their clients. This is in terms of litigation, in terms of what I do, advocate for the clients. And the other job, which is just as important, is to explain to the client and bring them along the process. Because guess what, John? At the end of the day, I'm not the one who can make the ultimate decision if to resolve the case or not. My client, my client is the one who says yes or no. You know, when we go to a mediation, in fact, I was speaking with someone this past weekend um, uh, about about mediation that's coming up for them, and and they ask me a question that is, I, I get that question quite frequently. Why do I need to go to mediation with you? You're right. my lawyer. Why can't you go? Yeah. And I tell them because my job is to negotiate the best possible settlement for you. But your job at the end of the day is to listen to my advice and then tell me if you want to settle or not Amen. for the amount that's presented. Yeah. So I'm like the GPS. I, I, I get you there, right? But you are choosing the end result, the end location. You're saying yes or no at the end. Okay, very important. So Sarah, in this case, I suggest that uh, you contact the lawyer via writing, in email form, uh, fax perhaps, contact the assistant, schedule a time to meet with this lawyer, whether it's at your home, your brother's home, uh, at the lawyer's office. Just make sure you explain the concerns. The process is actually not that difficult, when you're dealing with a car accident, you're entitled to certain benefits from your own insurance company, okay? irrespective of who's at fault. That's and why it's called right no away, fault. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, things like treatments, mm-hmm. income loss replacement, so income replacement benefits. You're not going to get that for the first seven days, for the first week, but afterwards, you are going to get that. Uh, again, case-by-case case specific, depending if, you know, if, if you're getting disability, shortened disability, perhaps, from your own you know, insurance at work. 
Uh, but, but the point is, all this should have been explained. And of course, given the fact, Sarah, that your brother was in such a horrible accident and had multiple surgeries, without having even more information than what you've given me, I can't fathom how his injuries don't pass that threshold. In other words, he should be able to make a claim against the at-fault driver, their insurance company, for compensation, for the pain and suffering, for future income loss if he can't go back to work. This is a fairly large claim, and it's just it's very concerning to me that uh, I, the lawyer is not responding. So my advice is make sure that you communicate with that lawyer, his assistant, a junior at the office, someone, right. express those concerns. And if this persists, you got to move. You got to go. You got you to leave. You got to go to a different lawyer. I mean, it's just not appropriate. It's not professional. And I, I tell you, John, there's a lot of lawyers that I know that are excellent lawyers, but, you know, they can do better in terms of client communications. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, we have those discussions. Everybody's busy, but that's not an excuse. You have to make sure you communicate with your client. We'll touch on long-term disability when we take a short break. In the meantime, the number 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here at Talk Radio, AM 640. Savant's so number anytime. you got to get a hold of them even when the show is over. It's 416-216-5910. Email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let's touch on some long-term disability questions as we uh, roll through here this week. Does the, uh, does the termination or severance get deducted from your LTD payments? Uh, Yes, uh, they do. I mean, look, again, there's case law that is interesting when it comes to deductions of long-term disability. But what is the idea behind long-term disability? The idea is that uh, it's compensating you for income that that, that you're not getting. Um, and, and, you know, but, but what happens if you do get that severance, uh, then yeah, I mean, that gets taken into account just like other, uh, uh, you know, types of payments that you may be getting. Uh, oftentimes you may be injured at work. And so the LTD insurer is going to be interested to know, well, what happens with your workers' compensation claim? You know, because we may be able to get a deduction there. Uh, so, you know, very, very important to understand that, listen, there's no 100% answer here. It is a case by case basis, but generally speaking, uh, severance payments, could very well be deducted from long-term disability entitlements. Oftentimes they are, because if you think about it, what is severance? I mean, you go through that with Lior every time right. when you speak here. It's essentially money that you're getting paid uh, uh, in lieu of notice, right? Exactly. I mean, this is money that compensates you for not being employed at right. this point or for seeking other employment. Well, how can you get that in addition to disability payments? And again, there's different case law that talks about what happens in a case where uh, you're the one who who paid for your disability premiums versus if it was a joint payment, right? It all depends on the situation. But you should be aware that if you get severance, that could be deducted. If you get other forms of payments like workers' comp, that could be deducted as well. You often talk about how, you know, it's not difficult to resolve long-term disability disputes. Now, when they are resolved, you get a lump sum check, here you go, off you go, or is it payments over time? Yeah, generally speaking, um, the resolution of a long-term disability claim can take one of two ways, uh, two forms. One is a lump sum. So they'll tell you, listen, we'll come to an agreement with you for the past payments we, you know, we owe you, mm-hmm. as well as for a portion of your future benefits. Okay. Meaning, let's say you're 50 years old, they cut you off, uh, we start a claim, technically you could be entitled up to age 65, right. but they'll tell you, you know what, we'll pay you your past benefits from when we cut you off, but we'll also pay you five years worth of benefits so we'll in the future. We'll knock off five years to give you a lump sum. We'll knock off five years, 10 years, whatever it is. It's a, a very, very case specific. The point is that we will give you a lump sum because we want to cut the umbilical cord. And frankly, John, most people who come to me, they want that um, relationship severed anyways. They, they just they can't stand the idea of having to communicate with the insurance company one more day. Uh, that said, it depends. In some cases, 
the resolution may take another form. It's not a lump sum settlement, but it's a retroactive pay, meaning we cut you off last year, so we owe you for the last 12 months, we'll pay you for those 12 months, and we will now reinstate you so that every month you continue to receive your LTD payments. So the relationship in that situation does not uh, stop. The relationship continues on. Which one do you like best? Uh, it's it's very, really? very case-specific. Because let, let, me, let, me, let me give you an example. What happens if you are 35 years old, you have a severe injury, let's say uh, uh, a, a fracture in your vertebrae, uh, you're unable to go back to work or any type of work, really, because of your, your, let's say, paralysis even. And for whatever reason, the insurance company cuts you off. Are you really going to settle for, let's say, 10 or 15 years worth of future benefits yeah. when you could potentially be entitled to 30 years worth of benefits? Right. So sometimes it doesn't make sense monetarily wise, it doesn't make sense to stop that relationship. And you know, I had a case recently where the insurance company, the lawyer, once we started the claim, contacted me and said, Sivan, we reviewed everything, everything you sent us. Uh, and here's, here's how my client's approaching this. Uh, we're willing to offer a lump sum settlement, past and a portion of the future, or we're willing to pay the retroactive, the, the uh, past payments that we owe him and, and, and reinstate him. Okay. So, of course, that begs the question, why'd you cut them off in the first place? Right. Well, but that goes to my original point, which is the insurance company cut people off all the time, and it's not always legitimate or valid. And oftentimes... It's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. Yep. And oftentimes when we start a claim, and the claim gets into the hands of a defense lawyer, they may have a different view of the case yeah. than the adjuster for whom uh, they are doing the case for. If you choose not to go with the lump sum and continuation of payment, um, now you've come to a settlement, here's the dollar value, here, we're going to continue paying you. Will the phone call stop or are they eventually going to start calling you again? You know, that's the, you've got that's the downside. Right? Right. Well, the agreement is to reinstate you. The agreement is not to pay you until 65. Uh-huh. Right. So that's that's a big consideration, because if you haven't severed the relationship with a lump sum payment, then, yes, one of the downsides are that, listen, two years from now, a year from now, three years from now, you may have the exact same situation happen. They'll cut you off and, and you can't stop. They're that. Call that, you all over again. And they call me, you got it. Exactly. Exactly. But but again, very case specific. And sometimes I'll tell people, listen, here are the pros and cons of a lump sum settlement. In your case, here are the pros and cons of continuation of benefits. And there is no necessarily right or wrong answer. There is just the lesser of two evils, I would right, say. Right, 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 right. But you do have to make that choice. And the most important thing is that you have the necessary information and advice to make that choice. Is it all taxable? Uh, that depends. It depends right. on who paid for the benefits. If yeah. you funded your own disability, so it wasn't your employer who was paying for it, you're the one who paid all the premiums and then you went on disability, no, then the, uh, the uh, settlement that you end up getting, uh, it's not taxable. In fact, even the money that you get monthly is not going to be taxable. Makes sense. You but if your employer it. paid or co-paid, yeah, it's going to be taxable. And I tell people, listen, if you have questions about tax, go to your account and not yeah. to me. Right. But these are just general principles that are out there that the general rule is, if you're the one who paid for your premiums, it will not be taxable. Uh, if, uh, if you did not pay for all your premiums, it probably will be. The number, 416-216-5910. Any more questions, that number can be used anytime to get a hold of Savannah. We'll get to another email right after a short break. That address uh, that we're using is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio AM 640. The number you need to know, have on you all the time, 416-216-5910. That'll put you in touch with Savannah. It is uh, also help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. 
George from Aurora writes in, says, I am 56 years old, and I put in an application for uh, LTD, long-term disability, and was denied last week because of, quote-unquote, insufficient medical documentation. I haven't heard about that before. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand what that means. My doctors wrote letters and confirmed that I can't work because of a back condition, and I'm scheduled for back surgery later this year. Uh, I'm not optimistic that I will be able to go back to work even if the surgery, uh, even after the surgery, but I should wait to do the surgery before appealing the decision. Well, first of all, you're not appealing anything, uh, George. You should not be appealing anything. Uh, and it's a good thing you emailed me because, you know, as soon as you get that letter, um, that excuse from the insurance company of insufficient medical documentation, you know that there is a big problem here. And what is the problem? Now, you, you're saying you don't understand what it means. I think you do understand, George, what it means. I just think that you just don't understand how they've come up with that right. excuse because clearly you've given them the documentation that they are saying is insufficient for some reason. It's not uncommon for insurance companies to say we have insufficient medical documents. It, it means yeah. All it means is that as far as we're concerned, we don't have the medical backup to support this disability claim. And you know, John, the amount of claims that I have done in the past and dealt with where that was the excuse that the insurance company used, and we had uh, letters upon letters upon reports upon reports uh, from doctors treating my clients in support of the disability, expressly stating what the symptoms of the disability were, uh, what the causes were, uh, what they can't do at work, and the reason of why they can't do that, the time frames, and we still got back insufficient medical documentation. It means nothing to me when I see that from the insurance company, particularly when I see that the person has actually provided medical documentation. The only time, as far as I'm concerned, that the insurance company is right to provide that excuse, to to say it's insufficient, is if you've given them nothing or if you've given them a letter from your family doctor that's a one-liner, this person is disabled. Because that means, what does that mean? But as as long as you've given them uh, letters and reports, which are fairly recent from people who are treating you saying, here are the reasons why this person cannot work, that is sufficient. They may have questions, they may want to clarify, they may even want to get in touch with your doctors. And that's another topic altogether as to whether or not they should be able to speak with your doctors directly. Uh, But the, the idea that you haven't given them sufficient medical documentation, when I see that most times, that tells me that they're just trying to get rid of you. Uh, it tells me that it's a very weak excuse on their end. I think a much more powerful position the insurance company can take is, uh, we've talked about that before, is we want you, uh, George, to be seen by one of our doctors. Keep in mind what I just said. Yeah. Not, right, I'm not right. I'm saying our doctors, doctors. Uh, seen. So we want you to see them uh, and, and they're going to then review all of the medical reports you've had. And then, you know, once they get an opinion from their doctor that says that, you are not disabled or not sufficiently disabled. That's probably what's coming down, exactly. Uh, Then I understand. Then we're we're dealing with, okay, their doctor's opinion says one thing, our doctor's opinions are another thing, and it's a battle of the doctor, so to speak. But in this case, you've given them everything they're asked for, or at least that's what it seems like, and they're telling you it's insufficient. Well, I I don't buy it. I don't get it. Uh, Don't appeal these kinds of decisions. We have to start a claim immediately. Uh, The longer you wait, the more you you prolong it by doing the detours called appeals. It's just going to prolong the the, the settlement that you're going to eventually be entitled to or get or or 
you may even potentially miss the limitation period for starting a yeah, claim in the first years, place. Right? Yeah. 416-216-5910 is that number. George, again, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll continue our discussion about LTD, long-term disability. So what are common myths that people uh, should be mindful of when dealing with long-term disability claims? There, there are quite a few myths out there, and this is not, uh, this is not something that I'm blaming people for. Uh, it's just this is what they read on the Internet. So th- one of the, the primary myths, which we just touched on, is uh, when people say, you know, if I'm denied or cut off LTD, there is nothing I can do. I am powerless. I- I- you are not powerless. If you are disabled and the insurance company is saying, we're not going to pay you, don't assume that you can't take them on. Just don't assume that. You're assuming that they are this huge giant. The reality is insurance companies have departments full of adjusters, and all these adjusters do day in and day out is resolve these kinds of churn claims. claims they churn out claims, right? They would hope that you walk away. They would hope that their adjusters don't have to deal with your claim. But a lot of people get educated. They listen to this show. Uh, they get the proper advice from other disability lawyers who know what they're doing. And once they get a claim in the door, they know they have to deal with it. Right. And so you are not powerless at all, okay? It's nonsense to think that you are powerless. And if at the end of the day you decide you just don't want to deal with it, that's your prerogative, it's money that's owed to you. It's money that's owed to your family. You want to give the insurance company a nice big gift <laughs> with a lot of dollar signs. That's completely up to you. Okay, so that's the first myth that you are powerless. Uh, second uh, myth: uh, I don't need an insurance lawyer to help me with my long-term disability dispute. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Absolutely. Unless you have knowledge of the industry, uh, it's it's like uh, not being a mechanic, not having any knowledge of of, of auto mechanics. And thinking that you can, you know, rebuild your engine. It's just, it's just not practical. It makes no sense. But, John, believe it or not, many people out there uh, do try to do it themselves. They, tr- they, they do try to take on the insurance companies. And I'll tell you, insurance companies and their lawyers have a field day when they're dealing with self-represented litigants, uh, people who think that they know what they're doing. Well, they're trying to you know, save a few shackles. Meanwhile, it's going to cost them tens of thousands of dollars. Absolutely. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. there's a few other myths. Do we have some time to go over those? We'll take a quick break and we'll get to those. Lots more myths. The myths uh, you should commonly know about LTD, long-term disability. In the meantime, the number uh, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll try to uh, get our way to another email before the end of the show talking about questions as it pertains to long-term disability. Now, if a person hires you to help them with their disability claim, uh, doesn't that sour the relationship with the insurer? Because people are afraid of that. Same thing when they go to get a severance lawyer, right? Yeah. You're asking me what happens if someone is cut off or denied LTD and they go to me. Yeah. And I get involved. Right. And does that make situations yeah, now worse? They're, now they're scared of the no, insurer, No, right? no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and let, me, let me share with you a little secret. Again, having worked as an insurance lawyer in the past, as soon as there is a lawyer, of course, it depends on which lawyer and what law firm. I mean, insurance companies are aware of the lawyers and, you know, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's something that is sort of kept hush-hush. But uh, they do, they do um, uh, reserve a certain amount of money for your claim depending, of course, on the facts of the case. But it also affects the reserves, uh, the law firm and, and the lawyer. Really? They're not going to admit this, but I'm telling you that you know certain lawyers out there, um, they are they they have a better reputation than others naturally, That's and funny. and and there's no reason why insurance companies would ignore that. But you know, to answer your question about if you hire someone like me, does that sour the relationship? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. In fact. In a way, it gives you an advantage because the insurance company knows that if a lawyer like myself has, has recommended to you to start a claim, that claim is not going away. 
So by virtue of you having hired me, that means that their costs are increasing because now they have to hire a defense lawyer. And because they have to hire a defense lawyer, they are now bleeding money. And if they're bleeding money, they want to cut the bleed. And the way to cut the bleed is to try and settle settle the case. Exactly. And and that's, it's very logical. So uh, not only that, by the way, not not only is is that the case with the the bleeding aspect of, of, you know, the, 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 scenario here, uh, but also with a lawyer that knows what he or she is doing, uh, you understand exactly what the individual is entitled to. And that's even more important here, because now if you were dealing with the insurance company directly, they could be telling you all kinds of things. And frankly, that's oftentimes what happens. The adjusters tell people all kinds of things. Uh, and a lot of it is is incorrect information, uh, I, either on purpose or not on purpose. I'm not going to get into that. But my point is that if you go to someone, uh, a disability lawyer, an insurance lawyer, an injury lawyer, who knows what they're doing, who've been doing this, who does this day in and day out, you are armed with the information you need to take on the insurance company, to take on your claim, to make sure that you receive the proper compensation that you are owed. We talked about uh, disabilities and going to the calculator, and that's for pain and suffering, but there's also something they call out-of-pocket expenses. So if an injured person needs to do things around the house, uh, install guardrails, other equipment inside the house so they can walk in and out, get in and out of the house, maybe the shower, um, they can claim that as out-of-pocket expense, or what else, what else can they claim for out-of-pocket? All right, so let's just make sure that people understand what we're talking about. So we're not talking about long-term disability, which, which is uh, right. replacing your income. Uh, we're talking about if you slipped and fell uh, and now you can't do gardening or you can't do snow shoveling, you have to hire people to help you, you're incurring an expense or you're about to incur an expense, yeah, you can make that claim against whoever it is you're making the claim against. So to, uh, going back to one of the, uh, I think it was one of the um, the cases we're dealing with at the beginning of the show, uh, slip and fall on ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, with w- the ankle? W- with the ankle, exactly. Uh, she can't work, so there's going to be an income loss claim. There's going to be a pain and suffering claim. But what if she takes care of her garden? Now she needs to hire someone, I don't know, at 200 bucks a month to take care of her garden uh, or, or anything else she needs to do around the house. That is an expense. That's recoverable against whoever was responsible, meaning the insurance companies who are going to be responding to the claim. And, and that's key because some of these expenses can be huge. I had a case a long time ago. I remember with uh, um, my client was a construction worker. It was a head-on collision. It's a shoulder tear, a very serious injury. At the time of the accident, he was in the middle of completing his basement. He was working on his basement. Right. We actually ended up going to his uh, house, and we did a quick video showing the half-completed basement. And what we did is we cost uh, out uh, the, the, the completion of the basement. We had sure. several companies come and give us quotes on the material and the labor. Well, he would have incurred the material costs anyway, yep. but the labor costs he was going to do himself because he's already done half. And so I think that between the three companies, we averaged it out to about $15,000 of labor. And we claim that as an out-of-pocket expense. Not that something he's incurred already, but he's going to have to incur sure. that. Yeah, because he can't complete the basement. So again, out-of-pocket expenses can actually be quite significant. You know, medications that are not covered by anyone, those can run up. Uh, so there's a lot of these kinds of things that, you know, you look at. And again, very, very important to make sure that when you're advancing a claim like this, all components of compensation are accounted for. And again, goes to the point of you have to have someone who knows what they're doing and who has done this for a while to understand exactly what can be claimed, what cannot be claimed, and how to advance the case so that the injured individual gets maximum compensation that they're entitled to under the law. 
So much more to get through, but we're out of time. So wrap it up uh, for us again this week. Give us uh, more details or final details about your injury calculator. Injurycalculator.ca. Use it. If you've been injured or someone's been injured because of someone else's negligence and you want to know what you can be looking at in terms of compensation for pain and suffering, that's your starting point. You can call up a lawyer. Many of them, if not most of them, will not want to tell you. Here's what you can expect. And again, it's case specific, so it depends on the case. But the injurycalculator.ca is a database of cases across the country. It's an amazing starting point, an amazing piece of information. Nothing like it as far as I know in Canada. Until next time, the number is 416-216-5910 and Savan's direct email is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here on Talk Radio, AM640.